there's just so many little aspects of it that you don't think of that can really throw a wrench into it. And if it just simply would have been handled beforehand, it would never have been a problem. And it's so much easier to handle it then and talk about it and, and discuss it and get it worked out before the merger. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Today, I'm speaking with Shane Jager, the president of operations at the Lawton Group in Dallas, Texas. After the Lawton Group acquired Shane's Benjamin Franklin franchise, the shop went from making $40,000 a month to $40,000 per day. Today, the Lawton Group has 135 employees and did $23 million in sales in 2020. Shane and I chatted about what he learned from past mergers and acquisitions, how to deliver a phenomenal customer experience, and we even geeked out a bit on our love of fantasy novels. I hope you enjoy our chat as much as I did. Shane Jager, welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Thank you. I am so excited to have you here today. You are the president of operations at the Lawton Group in Dallas, Texas, which, correct me if I'm wrong, has about 135 employees and did $23 million in sales in 2020. That's correct. That is absolutely awesome. I can't wait to crack open your skull and get some operations uh, knowledge out of you because I know a lot of contractors out there need some help with running their day-to-day business and optimizing for efficiency. So let's get right into it. Before we get into it, though, I like to start off every interview the same with, how did you get into the trades? I was born in the trades. Uh, My father was a plumber, so I grew up uh, on job sites Plumbing in residential new construction, uh, all the way from Long Island, New York, down to Houston, Texas. So the whole whole gambit. Long Island, I was quite young, so I wasn't actually doing much but running around getting in trouble. Down in Houston, I was definitely what I thought was helping, at least. My dad might uh, say differently, but... (laughs) Okay. I did not know that you were from Long Island. I'm from Queens. So where in Long Island are you from? Port Jefferson. Oh, okay. I know Port Jefferson. I'm from Flushing. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, How old were you when you moved down to Houston? Five. Okay. So you were just really getting into like kid trouble in Port Jefferson. Yep. All right. So your dad was a plumber and you helped him out. Was that, did he have his own business? Was he a one man truck operation? What did that look like? Uh, Yeah. One man truck operation, just doing his own thing. A lot of subcontracting. Most of it was all new construction, uh, residential, and just uh, banging out rough ends and top outs and doing the fun stuff. Very cool. And were you just like his little apprentice, not little, but were you just his <laughs> apprentice, just uh, handing him tools and figuring out the trade just by learning next to him? Yep. Yeah. Just having him tell me what to do and doing it and trying to do it at least. Got it. So at that point, I imagine you fell in love with plumbing and you were like, I want to work in the trades forever and forever. That's how it went, right? Of course, yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
tell me about it. What was that trajectory? How did you go from dad's plumbing apprentice to president of operations? I always wanted to own my own business, um, run my own company. Ever since I was young, I was mowing yards at seven, eight years old, and $20 and doing that every time chance I could get marketing and advertising for it, and picking up accounts. And then my mom jokes, I'm, I'm the only kid that goes on vacation and gets a job. <laughs> we went to Cozumel for a week and I ended up, uh, helping out on one of the fishing boats because his first mate went got sick. So I volunteered to help out for the week and got to fish for free and got paid. <laughs> so it was fun. That's so crazy. Uh, wait, when you said the Cosmo, I'm imagining, I thought when, my mind immediately went to the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. That can't be oh, where you were talking Cosmo. about. Cosmo. Where? Cosmo. Cosmo. Yeah. I was like, how do you go fishing here in Las Vegas? But you actually, you were in the world of finance for a bit, weren't you? Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. I graduated college and uh, started working for Merrill Lynch. Got my Series 7, 63 licenses, stockbroker for them, and loved it. I uh, I did enjoy the markets. I loved doing that kind of work. Uh, But then my wife is a pharmacist, and we were... I went to school in Albuquerque. That's I actually played football for University of New Mexico. And uh, I was working for Merrill Lynch in Albuquerque. And my wife was going to do a residency back here in Dallas for Parkland Hospital. It was a two-year residency. So we were going to be apart for two years. And my dad was trying to get me to come back, run his service company. And I was kind of, you know, I was really doing something I loved and enjoyed it and so if you guys can't be apart for two years, it's not going to work. You know, I, I know better. So I was like, yeah, it'll work. It'll be fine. And then 9-11 hit and markets just went through a floor and it just got a real tough time to be in the market in that business. And my dad was like, man, offer's still up. And I was like, I'll take it. I'm coming back. So uh, just fell into it. And he had the new construction company doing you know, new homes are building three or 400 homes a year, plumbing three or 400 homes a year. And, and then uh, he had this on the side, the service company, which was servicing the new construction homes. So he, uh, you know, he knew that that company could really grow if somebody could put the time and effort into it. So he really wanted me to come back and do that for him. And I took him up on it and, and I haven't looked back. I've loved it. It's, uh, it's been a great industry, great business to be in, and lots of fun. Also, I mean, the one thing I want to point out is pretty recession-proof. If you look back now, we're in 2021. That's when this interview is happening. We're technically in a recession right now. We are. Uh, we got we were we hit one in 2008, and right when 9/11 happened, the markets crashed. But this business was still there; it was still standing. So it seems like it kind of became that perfect outlet for you to really lean into your entrepreneurial sensibility. Absolutely. We've had, we have grown in every recession. It, uh, it's, it's very recession resilient. I won't say re- recession proof. It's, that's not true, but it, it's definitely very resilient to recessions. Yeah. Um, so your dad has always worked in new construction, it sounds like, and he started the service business and we'll get into that in a second to be an offshoot. And that totally makes sense, right? If you're doing new, if you're doing new construction on new homes, obviously you want to be able to service those homes. 
I installed this plumbing. I know exactly how it works. I'm your go-to person to get this done. So can you just talk to me a little bit about how that business plan worked? I'm just curious to learn a little bit more about how that follow-up went and what that looked like. Yeah. So exactly at the, uh, you know, we're getting calls from our existing customers, the homes and uh, just trying to, you know, he had a service tech just within the new construction company out running service calls and he was just constantly busy. So, you know, needed to add more and decided to open a new company and actually do it. And then, you know, once you get two or three techs, you can run just what you have naturally coming in. It's like, how do you grow from there? And that's when the trouble began. That's, that's the difficulty. Nobody went to school for marketing. Usually that, that's in the trades. Uh, it's not usually a smooth transition. So <laughs> you got to learn, uh, learn quite fast all the different marketing strategies and how to handle that, how to acquire new customers. Just a total new ball game that new construction doesn't have to experience. And so was that, was that one of the things that you had to take on when you came on? It was. Um, the first thing I did, we actually joined uh, PSI, Plumber Success International, basically just an infinity group that helps uh, teach you how to, to run a service company, what, what are the things you need to do. And well, that's where we met Chris JR and Carissa Richardson, the individuals that we ended up merging with. But we got to know them through there, and that's where – the Benjamin Franklin franchise came out of too was the PSI group. So they were kind of the elite of the elite out of that group to join the franchise and, and to come up in. So we, uh, I think we were the second, the second, first or second class of the PSI and went through their four year program and just grew the, grew the business that way and eventually became a Ben. That's awesome. I, was, I wanted to clarify that because I saw that your father's business was Ben Franklin, but uh, you didn't become Ben Franklin. You didn't go into that franchise until after joining PSI. Correct. Yeah. My father's company was Jager Plumbing Services. So we did, uh, and then our and the service, Jager Plumbing was construction and Jager Plumbing Services was service work. And then uh, we joined PSI as Jager Plumbing. And then we, uh, we're going to become a bin, uh, but then we actually merged with another bin. Uh, ah. you- oh, okay. So I, I, I saw in your bio that you do have experience with mergers. Was this the very first merger? Have, did you do more than one while working for your father? No. So technically that was my first merger. We had done some purchases after that, quite a Got bit it. of purchases, small companies, but um, that was my first merger. Got it. Yeah. All right. I'm so fascinated to hear about what it's like being on both sides of the coin, right? Because on one end, at the beginning, you and your father and the tech or one or two techs that you had with you merged into an existing culture. So I want to hear what that was like having to adapt to a new company and a new way of doing things. Sure. It was challenging, you know, but going in, you know that you're giving up some stuff to gain stuff. And, you know, I'm giving up answering phones 24-7, dispatching, you know, trying to design yellow page ads and create my websites. I'm giving all that up, all the, all my fun stuff. Oh, man, I could really see, I could really hear it in your tone of voice how upset you were to give a, give those things up. 
and then uh, just just taking on the uh, the operations side of it and just running the company, taking care of the techs, uh, taking care of the customer, the, the part that I do love. So you know, going into the merger, you got to know what you know you're giving up and you're and you're taking, and as long as it's uh, equal, it works out well. What would you say to an owner who may be listening now or, you know, one man shop who's been approached to join with another company, a bigger one? What would you say are some top things that they should be mindful of? This one, the first thing I would say is it can be hard, but get to know the person you're merging with first. You know, we knew Jaron Creasa for several years beforehand. We had known them on more of a personal level too, uh, non-business related. We bounced ideas off each other. They were pretty far away from us. Um, they were not in our service area, so it wasn't really, we didn't really see it as competing. So we would, you know, exchange ideas and, and stuff. So we got to know them well. The other part would be definitely get some legal help with it. There's just so many little aspects of it that you don't think of um, that can really throw a wrench into it. And if it just simply would have been handled beforehand, it would never have been a problem. And it's so much easier to handle it then and talk about it and, and discuss it and get it worked out before the merger. Trying to work it out three years later, it just it doesn't work well. So get the legal help, get it lined out right, and it can, it can be very beneficial. And I would say probably just from your first, the first thing you were talking about, sounds like listing out a list of pros and cons. What am I giving up? What am I, what am I gaining? And okay. figuring out how that works for you and your schedule. Because I imagine that in the world of the trades, there's folks who love work in the office, love answering the phones, love doing that kind of stuff. There's folks who only like to do service work and thinking about how that can be married efficiently when you join with another organization. Exactly. So fascinating. So then tell me a little bit about what it was like later in the Ben Franklin franchise. And we'll get to Lawton soon because I I feel like I've talked to folks from the Lawton group before, and I feel like I personally need a, a diagram to figure out all the things Lawton owns. So I need to ask you on that. But sure. going back to ben, ben Franklin, as you guys were growing and growing, talk to me about what it was like merging with other companies nearby to just expand and to grow. You know, depending on the size of company that you're buying really changes the aspects of it. But, you know, we would value a company a lot higher the closer it did business to the way we do business. Uh, if they were flat rate pricing, if they were doing three option close, what type of um, customers they were going after, all that would increase the value the closer it was to ours. We found, you know, if they were completely different than us, the value to us was a lot less. So we would not retain as many of those customers. It wasn't what we were used to servicing. And those customers didn't want us to service them. It wasn't, uh, just wasn't a good match. So, Interesting. Um, yeah. Definitely the closer they are doing it, uh, the way you do it, much, much happier you'll be. Well, I would imagine it would be kind of difficult if folks were used to calling this one guy to fix their plumbing 
And then all of a sudden a new guy comes in and this time he has three options and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I've never experienced this before. Where's Joe or whomever we were talking about before. Right. Joe would just tell me what I need to do. Yeah. I can tell you what I would do, but here are your options. Yeah. It it was different, especially the one man shop where they're calling the owner and the owner will answer and, and tell them, you know, okay, I'll be out there in a couple hours. It just it's a different experience for them. Yeah. The customers that do call in and they'll get service, you know, within 24 hours, you're not getting that with the one man shop. Not unless the guy's just sitting around and he's probably not the guy you want then. So it's uh, you know, you gotta book a week out for that guy. So this has been on my mind recently, and you mentioned that you've done some work with text. So I feel like you could probably answer this. I hear a sentiment that owners sometimes have frustrations with technicians because technicians love to fix things. And sometimes they fix to the detriment, like they'll fix a unit that probably shouldn't be fixing. Is that something that you've come up with that you've come across before? Absolutely. They are good at fixing. And it's what they forget is they're going to leave. And when it breaks again, the customer has to call you back out at their own home. They can fix it. The minute it breaks again, they can fix it again easily. You know, you're not without hot water. There's very, very little inconvenience for them, but for the customer getting you back out and going, you know, going the night without hot water or something, it is a big inconvenience or listening to that faucet drip or the toilet run, keeping them up at night. But a tech, you know, they're thinking about how they would do it at their own home. They would just go fix it real quick and, not even think about it. Uh, but we definitely, you know, teach the, the techs to give the options. Um, you just, you never know that that homeowner may have not liked that toilet from the day they moved in. It may have a bad memory with it. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe an easy fix, but you know, your first option is a fix. Second option might be a total rebuild and third option be the new toilet. Let them decide what they want to do. It's their house. Yeah, that's true. All right. So it's so interesting because I literally, I spoke to a tech the other day on the phone and he was, he was very, he showed a lot of pride in his ability to fix a unit. He said, um, the woman or the person had told me that seven people had been out to fix it and they couldn't do it. And I did it. And I was like, did that mean you should have though? (laughs) Right. And so I'm trying to better understand the technician owner dynamic and how that all goes into. So I appreciate you answering that question. So before we move on, well, actually, no, let's move on to the Lawton group. So talk to me about how you moved from Ben Franklin to Lawton. What was that journey like for you personally? I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty recent that I was promoted to president of operations of Lawton, but it's been a 17-year journey. <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been with Ben for 17 years, and, you know, we've grown that from, gosh, we were two-man operation when we merged, and, you know, now we've... Uh, We've got 20, we're up to 27 techs with Ben Franklin. We were, one number I really like is we were doing 40,000 a month in sales when we merged and now we're doing 40,000 a day. Holy cow. Yeah. That's impressive. All right. So back up a little bit and just tell me how does Ben Franklin relate to the Lawton group? Can you give me a little history lesson there? So Gerald Richardson, they, uh, they own Lawton Mechanical, 
they did new construction uh, commercial. They built restaurants. And he uh, he was, I think, started that in the 80s and was running that. And in the late 90s, they were looking for something else to do. They were looking at a franchise, some type of franchise organization to do. They explored everything. Oil change companies, the restaurants, the everything. And, you know, they just kept coming back to the, the plumbing side of it. It's kind of what they knew. And then they, they found Ben Franklin and they decided to, to start the franchise. And I believe they're actually uh, the number two franchise in the nation. They signed their contract uh, like a month later after uh, number one, which is down in Austin. Uh, then, uh, yeah, they just, you know, started from there. And, and then that's when, uh, I believe that's when they had lot, started Lawton Group. And that's what owns Ben Franklin and Lawton Mechanical. And then uh, Ben Franklin, we were doing commercial at the time, light commercial, and it uh, it was getting difficult. We uh, so we spun off of the Lawton Commercial Services, which does the commercial service repair. Yeah, see, I'm I'm drawing my own little diagram here. So Lawton Group owns Lawton Commercial Services, Ben Ben Franklin, and Lawton Mechanical. And when you say they own Ben Franklin, is it just one franchise, the franchise you worked for, or is it all franchises? Just the one franchise. Got it. And it's the second largest franchise in the country? Yes. That's insane. And then after joining with Lawton, 40000 a month to 40000 a day. Yeah. Holy cow. That is insane. What is your service area? <laughs> 2,500 square miles. Dang. Very large area. Yeah. Everything is big in Texas, right? Yeah. All right. That, thank you so much. That helped me, and I'm sure it helped our listeners kind of understand where you're coming from as well, too. There is one uh, more company under the umbrella. About three years ago, we started uh, Buckaroo Pest Control. Buckaroo Pest Control. I love that name. That's a fun one. All right, cool. Wow, look at Lawton Group. All right, so when you were at Ben Franklin before Lawton bought it, 40000 a day, uh, 40000 a month, now we're at 40000 a day. Getting to the size of what Ben Franklin was pre-joining with Lawton Group and post-joining with Lawton Group, those are some big mile markers for a lot of the folks that listen to this show. Talk to me about some of the biggest hurdles you had to overcome during this rapid growth. One of the biggest ones was our organizational layout. Um, mm. So as, as you're a small company, you know, there's, there's two or three of you in the office. And when something had to come up that, get hand, that had to get handled, somebody in the office would take it on. And, you know, you would get some really crazy organizational charts that, you know, HR is doing payroll and they're doing technology and they're also doing the fleet stuff. And, you know, so you got real crazy stuff like that. And as we grew, we didn't change it real well. It, uh, we got, yeah, our organizational chart was very difficult to follow. So <laughs> it was just, you know, this person's really good at it. They like it. So let's let them do it. And, we had to, yeah, we had to go through a reorganization a couple of years ago. Really, really helped us a lot. We used a, uh, a program called Traction, um, mm. an EOS system that 
that really, really helped us a lot. I'm a big fan of it. I've heard great, great things about traction and EOS. Uh, Rhonda Dowdy, who was one of our speakers in season two, she spoke very highly of it as well there in Austin. I've actually, so, so I'm so happy you brought that up because I'm right now in this mode of thinking about systems and processes and organizational charts. And someone, Al Levy, who was also a previous guest on this podcast, said that organizational charts are so important because they show your employees where they can go. Yep. Do you, yeah, you agree with that? Absolutely. Yes. And then you got to stay in your, in your box too. You need to, uh, somebody comes, you know, they're used to coming to you for all the answers. You've got to direct them back to the right box. Tell them to go, no, that's not me. That's such and such. I imagine you, you probably struggled with that a lot because you literally were like, it was this father and son business. And then all of a sudden now you're big and you're in Lawton. So it's probably like, actually, that's not my job anymore. Yep. And the worst part is, you know, the answer, but you're going to tell him to go talk to, you know, Joe and you know, Joe's going to come back and ask you, but it's like, got to go through that process. because Joe's got to learn it too. go ahead and let, you know, look, you got to go ask Joe. And then I know Joe will come ask me, but that's okay. That's just the process. And it, uh, next time, you know, Joe has to answer that question. He'll be able to answer yeah, teach a man to fish, right? Uh, that is that has to be a challenge. It's faster if I just do it myself. I think everyone listening can relate to that sentence. Right. So, uh, based on what you know now, given your seventeen-year trade career, what would you have done differently? I wouldn't have focused on growth as much as the bottom line. Before it was all about how fast we can grow, um, how big we can get. We were having a lot of fun doing that. Uh, but then you weren't, you know, we weren't as profitable as we should have been doing that. And the bigger you are, the bigger the mistakes are. So if you can, uh, you know, not necessarily tone it down on purpose or, or try to restrict your growth, you can let the growth happen naturally, but definitely pay very close attention to that bottom line as you're growing, make sure your bottom line is growing with you. Because if not, then there's there's no point to grow if, uh, if the bottom line is not growing. Got it. So you would have focused more on profitability rather than how many more trucks can we get on the road? Right. Interesting. Yeah, I've thought I've thought previously about this. It's so fascinating through this podcast and through my job at Service Titan. I get to talk to so many business owners, but I've never ran a business myself. So I feel like I'm constantly in this like thesis study of how to do a business. Um, And I can see how easy it would be to look for those vanity numbers. Oh, we got 20 trucks. We got 30 trucks. But then if your numbers aren't profitable, if you're if your bottom line isn't growing with you, then you're doing something wrong and it has to be fixed. It's not sustainable. No. Very good answer, by the way. So again, I, I'm so happy you shared the $40,000 analogy here because $40,000, it's a great, great number. You cannot hit that without a wonderful customer experience. And I know that it's prioritized at Lawton and it was prioritized at Ben Franklin. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you guys think about customer experience? So we, we do focus, you know, we believe we take care of our customer and we take care of our employee the company will be taken care of. And we followed that approach quite regularly for the 18 years, and it's worked out well. We've got lots of technicians that have been with us for 10 more years. You know, we've 
definitely value our employees and and they know we and they know that we do. And that's just like the customer. We've got uh, I was talking to a customer earlier today that uh, I was looking back in the records back in 2003 we were out there since 2003. So they've been you know been with us through three different homes too. They've moved all around and stuck with us. And really uh, that means a lot to us. We want to take care of them and, and that's that's what makes it fun. You know, it's dealing with customer complaints. That'd be the worst thing in the industry. <laughs> the less, less complaints you can have, the better. Got it. So you're the way that you guys approach it is, well, if we take care of our technicians, they'll take care of our customers. And by the way, kudos on having some technicians with you for 10 plus years. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Talk to me a little bit more about the specifics. Cause a lot of a lot of owners say we love to give wow service or we really go that extra mile. Can you go into a little bit more details about to how you go that extra mile, not just for customers, but also for your technicians? Yeah. You know, for the customers, we're, it's all about the experience. They, you know, the whole, they want a different experience. It's not about, um, you know, necessarily the price or the level of service. They want to feel valued. They want to feel special. They want to, you know, have a guide that they can call. And, you know, we want to be their guide. So everything from the technology side of our notifying customers via text, where they can track the customer, they can track the technician coming to their house, to emailing them invoices, and they can log into the customer portal and see all their all their past records. The whole you know, the whole picture of that has really brought us kind of to the next level. Everybody can go the extra mile. Everyone, everyone can show up, you know, change the light bulb for the customer, or take the trash out, clean up the area cleaner than what it was when you got there. Uh, everybody can do that, but not everybody can go to the professional level that service that you can take. You. And I, I think that's really separated us from the pack. To be able, being able to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. I've heard personally from folks that introduced uh, you and I is that you've particularly taken advantage of online booking opportunities. I, isn't it just bananas to you how like people will do anything and everything they can to avoid picking up the phone? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Talk I, to yeah, please. Yeah, we. I mean, our our web booking scheduler online uh, on our website. Yeah, we're. We're probably getting 10 or 12 a day on that scheduling. Our GSL, the Google local service, our home advisor, uh, the Yelp booking, those are all tremendous. The home advisor has actually picked up a little bit more than the Google local services here the last month. I've been kind of curious about that. I haven't really dove into why yet, but uh, we're, we're getting three or four home advisor bookings a day. And we're, you know, we're down to like one Google local service booking a day, which is uh, quite opposite of what it was a couple months ago. I'll have to talk to my marketing manager about that, see if there's something she's doing that changed that. Or, but yeah, this, I mean, you know, anytime a customer can book and not tie up a CSR, uh, that's, I mean, that's huge. And even the chat function, where they can chat in and, and find out what's available. You know, CSR can do three or four chats at once 
oh, my 16-year-old son can do a dozen of one at once, but <laughs> I don't know how he does that. <laughs> I have trouble with one. So yeah, they can uh, they can talk to a lot more customers a lot faster and, and get them taken care of. Do you ever run into issues where the like a GSLA booking or a home advisor booking doesn't have all the information you need? And if that happens, what do you do? We call the customer then. And we'll get some really weird ones. They'll, they'll book for HVAC repair or something we don't even do. So, you know, we call them and maybe they put something wrong or they they did, you know, in their, they wrote something. And it's usually in the description. They wrote it. Usually they wrote it wrong or well, I thought that was part of the HVAC. No, that's that's your garbage disposal. That's not part of that. But uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, we just call the customer then. Yeah, I think some. I think there are a lot of folks that are a little bit not a lot, but I think there is a section of folks that are a little nervous about web bookings because they feel like by giving the customer the opportunity to convey the problem. They're going to miss out on a lot of information, but the solution is simple. You just call them or you text them through chat. Like you said, I think as you, you were really, I mean, you just said 10 to 12 a day from online bookings. That's pretty, that's pretty significant. It is. It is. I might, my, uh, what I'm going to say, my text will argue against it, but it, it's more for their, their good feeling is why they want it. It's a plumbing repair. I don't care. It doesn't matter if it's a faucet running, a toilet running. None of that really matters. It's a plumbing repair. And if we get the information wrong, go ask the, the customer yourself. Go there and find out. If, if they don't put the exact information in, in the description on what's wrong, it's okay. They're, you know, they're experienced plumbers. They should be able to do it all, handle it all. And if they can't, then let them know that, you know, we're sorry, I'm really not the expert on this, but I need to get the expert over here. This, you know, he's got lots of experience, and let me get them over here to take care of it. Customers appreciate that, the honesty, and and then the fact that they know they're getting the expert out here to take care of it. And, you know, somebody who didn't know what they were doing was just going to try to muddle through it and learn on the job. They they appreciate that. We we've definitely had a lot of experience with customers thanking us when we have to reschedule. Just done right, it can be a positive. That's awesome. And I appreciate you calling out that the techs are like, oh, I don't like this, which yeah. I can understand for them from their perspective too, because they also don't get that call recording. They don't get to kind of get, they, they lose out on a little bit more context, which makes sense, but right. you're kind of sacrificing. It sounds like you're sacrificing technician context, which is significant, but you're gaining customer convenience. And then you're enabling your technicians to ask the proper questions if they need more context with the customer. Right. A lot of times the techs will preform opinions because they got too much information ahead of time going into this job. They're, they're preforming these opinions and, and what needs to be done. And then they're not listening to the customer. They're not asking the right questions. And then they end up doing the wrong thing or not getting it right. Or, you know, the less information they have, they're going to ask better questions and be more informed and, and get down to the real root of the problem and get it fixed the first time. I mean, that's a great call out too. experts. And I include myself in this, uh, in this generalization, we experts at anything love to preform opinions, exactly what you said. And sometimes you just, yeah, you know, the old phrase is, uh, uh, when you assume you make an ASS out of you and me, Yes. 
very cheesy, but I still remember it. One of my old college professors used to say that to me. <laughs> um, all right. So, I mean, when we come down to your operate your your title right president of operations not every shop is going to have someone who's within the operations field right right. how does someone in a position like yours or maybe even an owner who's thinking about your position like they kind of know like i probably need someone who kind of puts the business machine together how do you go about identifying which areas of the business can be improved with automation and technology the biggest way I've done it is by webinars and exploring what's out there. If you don't know what's out there, you don't know how to, that you can improve on it. I had no idea that you could text a signature field to the customer's phone, have them sign it and get, you know, tied back to their invoice where until service tag came out with it, I was, you know, it blew me away. You can, I can, they can sign their own phone now so they don't have to, as part of the COVID release, but so, you know, continuously learning and, and seeing what's available, you won't know what you can improve on. Um, talking to other plumbing companies and um, across the country and how they do it. I'm part of uh, several groups that are, you know, nationally based across the country, you know, all over San Francisco, Atlanta, and just, talk to them on how they do things and get you new ideas on, on how to, to do it. But researching and, and looking it up and going to seminars and webinars, and that's how I've, I've found it. Yeah. Nice. Um, you mentioned you're part of a lot of groups. Which groups are they? If you don't mind me asking. Sure. Well, we have like within Service Titan, the Spark group. Um, oh, nice. I didn't realize you were a Spark, a Spark member. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, and that, you know, that's one group within the franchise. Um, I'm part of uh, what's called a green team. So then, you know, those organizations or those groups would get together once a month or every two weeks and talk about different aspects of it and how we're doing things. And it's, it's been very beneficial. That's awesome. I say, I, ha- I used to say this a lot at the beginning of the podcast, but I feel like I haven't said it a lot recently. So I will say it. I'm com- continuously blown away at how much folks in the trades support one another. Like it is such a supportive industry. Maybe not so much if you're like direct competition, but even I've seen cases of like, Oh no, like I have coffee with my competitors like once a month and we see, we ask each other what we're doing. Uh, it really is the industry that supports one another. And I, I haven't seen it in any other industry yet. It is. And I, I think it's because we in the trades are one of the biggest attributes of, of someone in the trade is they want to help. They want to help their customer, but they just like helping people. So helping other business owners or, or helping your neighbor or something, it's, it's all still helping. And that's where we get our rewards. So, you know, I used to have lunch with one of my biggest competitors. He was uh, the same situation, a, a son and the father was in the business. And, you know, there's a lot of unique hurdles that you have there. So we, uh, yeah, we had lunch once a month and always bouncing ideas and how, how you get your dad to do this or how do you handle this when you got to tell your dad he's wrong or it's, uh, it's not easy to do. So having, having some advice was useful. Not to put you on the spot and you can, you can say no to answering this question, but 
Would you mind sharing some tips that you learned about working best with your father over the years? Sure. Um, you know, you, you had to be subtle. You don't go in and just say, you know, no, you're wrong. We can't do it this way. That doesn't work. You can imagine how how a hardcore plumber would react to that. Uh, you get really good at dodging pipe wrenches. You got to be subtle about it. Um, Asking questions about it and and leading him to the right answer versus telling him the right answer. uh, I got really good at that, (laughs) which has been beneficial uh, in my whole career. Actually, that's a very good trait to have. Yeah. Asking questions to get the other person to come to the conclusion you want them to come to. (laughs) Yep. I, yeah, I think we can all relate to that. I feel like there's an opportunity for a psychologist to specialize in uh, people in the trades who work with their dads. Yeah. <laughs> How to communicate with your dad one-on-one. Uh, I think everyone could. Uh, my dad listens to this podcast, so I'm sure he'll laugh at this. So, uh I have a couple more questions, uh, but I want to get back to um, how you take care of your technicians specifically, because we talked about the customer, but we skipped over the technicians a bit. So talk to me. How do you have technicians that stay with, have been with you for over 10 years? I think the biggest thing is they know I care. You know, they all have my phone number. I will go out of my way to answer that phone every time they call. Even when I know they're calling to complain, I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to, you know, I'm sorry. That's just, you know, this is something we're going to have to do. We'll work on getting better at it. But then also, when you tell them you're going to work on it, that can't be lip service. You really do need to work on it. They know when when you're just feeding them a line to get them off the phone. But, uh, you know, if our call center is doing something that they don't like, and, and rightfully so, it should be changed, then you need to work on changing it. If they are doing it right, then you need to stand up for the call center and, and be firm to know, you know, that's not the way we're going to do it. This is the way we're going to do it. And that's, and this is why, because it's best for the customer or it's best for the company. And, you know, explain why you're doing things uh, is very helpful. The other thing, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't ever tell a tech because I said so. That's, that's the worst thing. I'm, I'll tell my kids that, but uh, <laughs> not, not your employees, you know, explain to them why, why you're doing it. It takes, you know, a few minutes out of your life to explain it. And the best thing that'll happen is they will explain it to the rest of your company, the rest of your employees, and they'll spread the word. So it's, uh, I always love explaining why we're having to do it. And I'm the same way. If you're going to tell me I need to do something, I'll do it, but tell me why, and I'll do it even better. Got it. I think those are all really excellent leadership tips, honestly. Never tell them because I said so. You have to go before the why, right? Right. And I think actually I had a question about leading such a big organization. And I think you just you just nailed it. You already nailed it on the head, which is organizational charts, telling your, your team why, and really listening to them and advocating for change when it when it's met when that change is necessary and following up with it. I think follow through is such a big thing. You said it perfectly is you can't just give lip service because after a while people will start to see through it and they'll look for another place to work. Absolutely. This has been an awesome, awesome conversation, Shane. Is there anything that we should have talked about in regards to the kind of work you do, the journey you've been on that we should have talked about, but we didn't talk about? It's been, uh, it's been a very eventful 18 years. Not that I can think of right now. I'm sure as soon as we hang up, I'll think of a few things. 
<laughs> well, like, oh. well, I have a couple rapid fire questions that I'm going to ask you. So maybe at the end of them, they'll get the juices flowing. Are okay. you good for some rapid fire questions? Sure. All right. First question. How do you take your coffee? <laughs> no coffee. No coffee. Are you a tea, a tea man, a soda man? I was a Diet Coke man until about a year ago and gave up caffeine. And now I am a flavored water guy. Nice. I'm more of a in the closet flavored water guy. But <laughs> well, after this, I'm out of the closet, yeah. <laughs> well, after uh, yeah, now everyone will know. Right. I've heard that before. I've known a couple of people that were really big into Diet Coke in the morning. Uh, so you are not alone there, my friend. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh wow, um, Abraham Lincoln. Mm, nice. What's the number one thing you're trying to learn more about right now? Negotiation skills. Oh, for team internally, or what does that look like? Uh, both. Yeah. Internally, externally. I, you know what, when you find out some stuff on negotiation skills, you let me know because I could use that help as well. Um, <laughs> if money weren't an object, so you had unlimited resources, what's the first thing you would do? I would be a philanthropist. I would give it away. Oh yeah. Any particular organizations or causes that really pull on your heartstrings? Yeah, a lot of the children advocacies, um, St. Jude's Hospital, Children's Hospital, stuff like that. Nice. That's lovely. What are some of your favorite books or podcasts? Books, either it's either going to be, uh, you know, business books, self-help business books, or if it's fiction, then fantasy. I enjoy a good fantasy book. Yeah, can you give me any titles for both, for both genres? Oh, um so, uh, oh my goodness, uh, J.R. Tolkien, uh, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, thank you, and then, uh, uh, Wheel of Time. Oh no, that's I'll go way back on that one. That's a, I think there's like 20 books in that one. There is, there is 20 books in Wheel of Time. I've read Lord of the Rings, I haven't read Wheel of Time, but I like fantasy too. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, uh, business is everything from. Gosh, one of my favorite ones that I just re-listened was Personal MBA. That's a that's a fun one. I, oh, I really? me and me and uh, Shane are on a video chat, and I have a copy of the Personal MBA literally right on my um, right on my desk. So funny! <laughs> that is that's a that's great, great book. It's a great great book. Yeah. Question behind the question is a good one. Uh, that was one uh, I read deal with my father. Oh, it's one I really like. I can't. I'm actually listening to it. That's why I can't remember the title. It's um, Negotiation Skills by a uh, FBI, the uh, head of the FBI negotiations. And it's a really fascinating, not only helps you with negotiations, but he talks about a lot of his stories. And Ooh, that's, that's really cool. That sounds fascinating. How about this? You, you shoot me an email with the name of the book and I'll make sure to include it on the page where the podcast will live. All, All right. right. Final question. What's the number one thing every contractor must do to run a successful business? One thing. Oh man. They have to take care of their customer. If you don't take care of your customer, you won't last. Yep. Agree. A hundred percent. Well, Shane, this was such a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know you and thanks so much for being a guest on the toolbox for the trades. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Are you looking to build a top tier service company? Service Titans Contractor Playbook is a handy guide to help you get where you want to go. 
authored by the industry's greatest minds, this free all-in-one playbook will help you set your company up for success. Learn how to provide excellent customer service, establish your company's culture, market to new and existing customers, and more. Just go to servicetitan.com slash get playbook to access the free digital guide. That's servicetitan.com slash get playbook.